Ah, good luck. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe it. Marshall skips away, Marshall skips away. Marshall's still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Davis on the outside. Hello and welcome to another very exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only Adderall podcast prepared to rebuild the other half of the Coliseum and allow an Aussie politician to buy and rent it under a negative gearing loophole. I'm your host Eamon Brown and today on the show we're discussing lots of topics. I'm not sure what they are yet but we'll make it up as we go along. But before we do that, I'm joined as per usual by the Dark Prince of Brookvale, Media Watch Mario. Welcome to you sir. Pleasure to be with you again. Now, mate, um, look, another elephant in the room, um, and I don't mean to make fun of his weight issue by calling him an elephant, but there is no Xander Risotto again. Uh, Can you fill the listeners in as to where he might be tonight? Xander has ditched us again so that he can um, go to a protest rally for the release of, um, what's her name, Ghislaine Maxwell? Is that how you say her name? That's right. Which I'm not really sure why he's wanting her release, but... Apparently, according to Paul Kent, it's okay to look after a friend if they're if they're you know a bit suspect. I think we're you know similar to the words or the message that Paul Kent gave out. So I think we can now confirm that Xander Risotto and Paul Kent same person. Mm, and that'll hurt him deeply to know that uh, Xander, because in many ways he's been critical of Paul Kent over the years, and to find out that he is in fact Paul Kent. Um, I think will be quite demoralising for him. And look, I can explain the whole Maxwell uh, love affair with Xander. Um, it, it really stems from Epstein. Now, um, you know, the viewers or the listeners rather probably wouldn't know this, but uh, Xander's just been a massive Jeffrey Epstein fan um, for most of his life. He has life-size cutouts um, in his in his room. Um, not to do with any of, of obviously the nefarious sex stuff. He's just a big fan of his business acumen. You know, as a result... Um, you know, the fallout and the criminal trials, etc. Um, he's now just in Maxwell's corner, hoping that she gets released. So, um, look, I can't say I'm on his side, Mario. I think that I'd like to see her go down permanently, to be honest. But Well, Xander's a bit of a, a conundrum, isn't he? An enigma, you might say. He's always presented himself as a, a bit of a, a bleeding heart lefty, I think we could say. But at the same time, as you say, a raging capitalist. And that comes down to him being, I guess, what you'd call an unselfish billionaire. You see, what the listeners don't know is that Xander Risotto has funded the this podcast since day dot, even before he was on the podcast, because he just has so much money and he likes sharing it around. And so he's been personally, you know, contributing finances to keep Twitter afloat to help save it from Elon Musk's absolute craziness, which has provided so much fun over the last week. And I think Xander's just enjoying the fun and he wants it to go a bit longer. Yeah, you're right about that. And, um, you know, there's an unusual mixture, isn't it? Being a, a fierce capitalist and yet, you know, wanting to help the poor and needy. I'm not a huge fan of his policies. Um, you know, saying that the, the poor can be helped and they can be given money, but only if they work in sweatshops. But as you mentioned, Mario, something interesting. Obviously, Twitter's a different place at the moment. NRL Twitter's a little bit of a different place. We've... Elon Musk's new policies coming into fruition and namely I'm talking about the ability to pay for a blue tick. Now I'm actually feeling a whole lot better about a lot of PVL's decisions lately because you know I've actually become the official 
blue tick account for Peter Volandis. Um, so I've already announced some major changes tonight. You probably want to log on to Twitter, listeners. You might see some of these. But I've actually eliminated South from the competition. I made that announcement at about 6 p.m. Um, and this is something I've always wanted to happen. And it's great that I now have the conch and I'm able to make it happen. But Magic Round, I've never felt, is very complete uh, without a team of magicians. So I've added those to the round as well. Now that I have the blue tick, Mario, are there any things that you want me to announce on behalf of PVL to the world? I was hoping you could use your clout because um, we're going to my family and I are going to America, and on New at the end of this year. So on New Year's Eve, we're going to see David Copperfield live in Las Vegas. So I was hoping you could use that pull that you've got to get me backstage so that I could arrange for him to join this team. I think we need his, you know, his particular brand of magic i think would really lift the whole competition okay mate i'm just tweeting that out now um and i'm just going to make a little bit of an addendum to that any fans of bros uh can enter any game for free all year i'm just going to tweet that out okay great well look i mean it's given us a whole lot more power on the show hasn't it because having 250 nrl hardheads listen to each episode mario is something but obviously, uh, being a pretend Peter Valandis is a hell of a lot more fun. Now, we don't know exactly what we're going to talk about on the show. I did have a quick story about my personal life, Mario. Do you mind if I start with that? I mean, absolutely. Why, why should we ever actually talk about rugby league? So let's go. <laughs> well, this happened to me today, so I felt the need to share it. And I don't think she'll listen, in, so it's okay. I don't think she'll mind me sharing it uh, with my NRL audience. But I met up with a friend today <clears throat> who I used to work with. And we went to a Mexican place and she ordered a cocktail and I ordered a Corona. Anyway, her cocktail came to the table and it was dead set the size of a fishbowl. Like it was giant. I mean, she, I mean, it was a bit of a giveaway. It was $23.50 or something. So she should have known that, you know, it was probably a little bit larger than a regular cocktail. And I don't think she drinks very much. Anyway, I thought, I said to her, I don't think you're going to get for all of that. And we're having, um, you know, chowing down some tacos and she's very gradually making her way through it. And then, you know, as the sort of hour goes on, it's, she's actually consuming it faster and faster. And I realise that's her getting drunker and drunker to the point where she starts licking the rest of this, you know, cocktail glass out of the to- out of the bottom. And I knew she was really enjoying it. I just need to interject to say sure. that you just said of your former work colleague or whatever it was that she was licking out of the bottom. I, I just think we should need to just pause for a moment to appreciate that sentence, and now you can continue. No, that's okay. I'm glad you can always spot the lewdness in between the lines, Mario. It is one of your special skills. Um, anyway, look, she, she gets to the end of this cocktail. No jokes about a cocktail, please. I'm talking with her, and then suddenly she just stops mid-sentence and looks really shocked. And I said, um, I won't mention her name. I said, oh, yeah, are you okay? And she doesn't say anything. And her eyes go wide like frying pans. And I go, dude, are you all right? And then uh, after about five seconds, she just projectile vomits across the table. It didn't hit me. I think I might have copped a bit of shrapnel. Um, but I've never seen someone get instantaneously drunk before. I think that was the thing that really shocked me because she didn't, she seemed fine, a little bit merry, but you know, fine, 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 projectile vomit, like really suddenly, uh, three or four times as it happens. I can't go back to that Mexican restaurant again. Um, you know, I couldn't look them in the eye after that. I mean, I cleaned a little bit up with the napkin, but I don't think it really did the job. Um, and so we just... stand up before the vomit happened? Because that's hit me a couple of times where I've 
felt fine, pound the drinks down, then just stand up and all of a sudden, uh-oh. Beautiful. So you got in position inadvertently into a higher position so you could cause more damage with the vomit. Yeah, that did happen to me once at um, Harbour Diggers in the Northern Beaches. I was, still, <laughs> yeah, no, I was at a work, yeah, I was at a work function um, working at Coles at the time and attempting to impress the, the visiting management uh, to, you know, improve my position at the company and such. And so myself and one of the other managers decided to have a beer drinking contest, which I very much lost and lost the contents of my guts all over the table upon which everybody was seated or beside which everybody was seated. And that was the end of my night. You'll be shocked to hear. And I assume you got that promotion you were after? Uh, that took a little bit longer than expected. Yeah, I'm imagining being your boss or your line manager a couple of months after the event when they're assessing your job and they're going, okay, Mario, he's fairly uh, proficient at his job. He's not tardy. He comes on time. Um, he does a great projectile vomit from a height. I mean, this guy's definitely in need of a pay raise. I'm assuming that's how the review went. I'm sure those words were all in the review. Without um, digressing too much further into our respective careers, Mario, we probably should talk about some rugby league now it's pertinent for us probably to talk about the world cup mate because um as we go to air it was only uh less than 12 hours ago i think um that the game took place between australia and new zealand now i want to get i want to get your thoughts on this straight away mario because look it was a bruising affair it was very close i'd probably say on performance new zealand was slightly better than australia personally but i'm seeing a lot of people online and in the media claim it's the best game they've ever seen to me, it wasn't that great. I mean, it was gritty, but it was certainly far from lacking its flair and um, style. But how did you see the match? The Australian attack was very clunky um, the whole game. We looked a bit disjointed, I think, which I suppose was a lot to do with a lot of these guys haven't played together at all or for a long time. And so when they have played together, they've been playing relatively easy games I think it's fair to say so suddenly playing against a battle-hardened team that just had a really really hard game last week against Fiji so they mm. were you know they were ready to roll I think Australia just turned up not in the right headspace and then when you add to that both our halves playing like absolute dog shit all game it really didn't help and I've had numerous fights online with Penrith fans only, of course, because even some Penrith fans were like, yeah, Cleary sucked today. Um, but a few of them have jumped to his defense. Uh, uh, you know, I hope he's watching, but I'm sure he wasn't. And he was just bad. And that's fine. We won the game. So good. We move on. He's obviously getting picked next game. But the reality is in the Australian team, there was what one, two, three, four halves on the field. And Cleary was the fourth best one of those Australian halves. Yeah, Mario, it comes to my attention that Nathan Cleary is quickly de developing a reputation uh, for not being great in giant big rep games. Um, obviously very good throughout the year, very good at a certain level, uh, but he's sort of clocked up a number of games in the last four or five years where, yeah, he's just been a bit underwhelming, I guess. He hasn't been terrible, um, but you'd think at this stage of his career, particularly given his NRL comp form, that um, he would be dominating these kind of games a little bit more. And as you say, I, I had him down as the fourth best half on the field as well in the Australian-New Zealand game. But having said that, Munster was also a bit underwhelming, Munster I thought. Was as terrible. Munster, Munster yeah, was terrible. Yeah, 
not his usual involvement rate, not his usual in impact. Is he on the right coke at the moment? Do we need to send some better shit across because he's looked a bit lethargic? Dare I say it, but Nathan Cleary has all the hallmarks of Mitchell Pearce just in a better club side and a better rep side. You know, Mitchell Pearce was in a very good Roosters team, but you feel like overall the Panthers are a little better. And I'm, I do think Cleary is a better player than Mitchell Pearce was at Penrith level, but I'm not convinced he's a better player at rep level. His kicking game absolutely goes missing every single rep game. I, I don't think, I think without exception, even the ones in which he's been falsely given man of the match, like such as game two this year, he was in no way the best player in the field. But the media are desperate to talk him up and desperate for him to succeed. For whatever reason, I don't know. Um, and so he it completely escapes criticism, as he has today. I've not seen any criticism from the media of Cleary, just everyone frothing about it being the best game ever played, etc., etc. It definitely was not that. It was an enjoyable game, and I'm very glad I watched it. But the New Zealand-Fiji game last week was much better. The uh, Actually, I'm not going to say the women's game yesterday was better. Australia, New Zealand, it was probably not as good a game just because Australia just dropped the ball a thousand times in that game. That was frustrating. Um, I still think Cleary has it in him to be amazing at rep level. I just want to see it happen. But at what point do we say it's not going to happen and should we just be putting Ben Hunt as our starting halfback? I personally would be... I think our halves for Australia or half and bench should be Nico Hines and Ben Hunt because those are the two form halves of the season. But it's clearly not happening and that's just how it is. We just have to accept it. So I am going to hope that Nathan Cleary comes good so then all the Penrith fans can run at me and say, oh, look how good he was. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. And I'll be very happy to say, yay, he was good. We won the World Cup. Well, i got to say, I mean, as much of a critic as I am of Nathan Cleary, I think to virtually label him a Mitchell Pierce. Um, I guess I would say to you, Mario, don't say things you can't take back uh, because that can be quite devastating uh, for people to hear that. If you look at it at rep level, sorry to interrupt you, but you look at it at rep level, he has consistently gone missing and all the quality that he displays in a Penrith jersey has yet to be displayed in a blue or green and gold jersey. Simply, it hasn't happened. And scoring... 20 points against Italy, big smegging deal. Who cares? That's an absolutely irrelevant thing. Uh, the thing that people were throwing back at me today, one Penrith Gronk in particular on Twitter, was throwing stats at me about how Cleary did more tackles than Ben Hunt, m- missed fewer or the same amount of tackles as Ben Hunt had, and then he was throwing line break assist, try assist, whatever at me, which was, it's all false stats, like saying the amount of meters Cleary ran but Cleary shouldn't be running as often as he does his job is to and this guy was saying oh look our forward didn't do anything but that's because Cleary kept getting the ball and running with it if he passes to our forwards to do their jobs then the forwards are more capable of doing their jobs and padding their stats instead of Cleary padding his his one try assist was a joke. He simply tapped a penalty to um, Cam Murray, who did all the work, but that got Cleary credited with a try assist, which is just genuinely a joke. And anyone who's serious is going to say, yes, that was a joke. You know, he yeah. his kicking was diabolically bad all game, which just reeks of Mitchell Pierce. He, he didn't really do a good kick. Like, Vossi 
oh my god, Vossi during the commentary, um, Cleary has done a kick and Vossi says, oh great kick before it's landed. And it was a terrible kick. It went straight to the New Zealand defender, put them under no pressure whatsoever. And and Vossi didn't take back saying it was a bad kick. Yeah, that's right. I've noticed that as well with the commentary that they are looking to deliver the compliment to Nathan Cleary ahead of time. It's sort of um, a minority report style uh, form of commentary uh, because I think his reputation literally precedes him. And so people want to compliment Nathan Cleary before he's actually done anything. Look, I, I concur on the idea that uh, Nathan hasn't come up to code in big matches. Uh, he can certainly demoralise a terrible team and, you know, his NRL form stands for itself. But, you know, I think rep footy is different in the sense that you can't really just rely on that training handbook as heavily as you might do in a club match because, you know, you're training with the same group of players week in, week out, including a pre-season I think rep footy is a much bigger exposure point for talent, natural talent, because although you're playing around with superstars, structure still matters. Um, and those systems to some degree still matter. And as you said, Australia were just very, very clunky. It shows you the, the class that the team has across the park because the halves were awful and we still won the match. Exactly. I mean, I, I'm, I was also a little triggered by Liam Martin winning man of the match, but I do think he was second best player on the field. I think he was very good. I think he was not just second-best Australian, but second-best player. But I think Josh Adokar was so comfortably the best player. And I'd said it multiple times during the game was, oh, my God, how well... You know, I tweeted it as well. How good is Josh Adokar playing? He's very clearly um, the best player on the field. Then when they gave it to Liam Martin, I was watching going, huh? And then I just thought back to the grand final when I still believe Toto was the best player on the field. They just don't give it to wingers in big games. And that's just how it is. Yeah, in, well, in I, I, where... I respectfully disagree with you on that one, mate. I mean, I thought the Fox was amazing. Definitely would be in my top three. But look, I think the thing about that game was that New Zealand, their forwards outperformed our forwards. And I, th I think even on paper, and that's without Jared Maria Hargraves there, they've just, I think, got a better forward pack than we do. Uh, I think it's close. I don't think it's by a, a giant margin or anything. But that's why I think that Liam Martin performance was so important because he really took it to some of the big guys, including his teammates, that reminiscent of the old, you know, the genesis of origin, the mate against mate. He really, you know, put it on the chest of a couple of his Penrith club mates. Fisher Harris doesn't often get put on his ass, but he did that a few times. He was fiery. Um, he motored for a, a, a big stint in the game as well. I think he played a, a fair chunk of minutes. And um, that's why I thought it was an extra special performance. They needed someone to stand up Australia in that forward pack because, you know, they were getting bent back, I think, for most of the team, most of the game, um, which is why I think Australia were also lucky to win that match. I think on on performance across the 80 minutes, I thought New Zealand outperformed us. But as you said, I mean, to go to the Fox, I mean, I mean that try is going to be on the highlights reel, isn't it? The great kick from Ben Hunt, by the way, too. Credit goes to him, but just really a classic, well. a classic uh, Addo Car try. Just no one really has that sort of speed and anticipation and confidence that he does and to be there you could tell that you know Rappiner just had get given up on that high ball and thought oh well no one will be chasing it and of course the fox was because he always is he'd given up it just looked like he had no idea where it was he just <laughs> misjudged that kick but you like, if you right look there. at if you look at who like i saw a lot of stuff saying Austra i saw quite a few people saying australia didn't deserve to win and in a way i agree 
but the reasons some people gave I thought were spurious, which one of which was that the, the New Zealand no trial, which was a friggin' sick try, and I kind of wanted it to be awarded, but in hindsight, I'm glad it wasn't because we won. Um, but Was he offside, yeah, you reckon? Yeah, he was offside. If, if you have to have both feet behind, then he didn't. He had one mm. foot in front, he was offside. There also may have been a knock-on, but we didn't really end up checking over that because the offside was kind of clear and it was no try. So I'm totally fine with that decision. However, mm. the try for, um, was it Val Holmes off that uh, Jack Whiten pass? Brilliant run by Jack Whiten. Totally fine with him throwing that pass because to his mind, he would have felt like he wasn't held. He'd broken out of the tackle and thought he was okay to pass. And in that circumstance, I think anybody would pass that ball. It may have been forwards. Uh, uh, it may have been flat. I was happy for it to be called flat, but... The point I, didn't, is, I didn't think it was, was forward. Yeah, I didn't think so either. I thought it was flat. But he was held. And for the bunker to say he wasn't was kind of bizarre because it's there's, it was very clear, and especially with replays, that there was a hand on him with the ball on the ground. That's the definition of held. It doesn't have to be a hand firmly on him. It doesn't have to be gripping him well. But a hand of a defender was in contact with his body when the ball touched the ground. That's held. So it should have been no try. And of course, the whole game's different if that's given no try. So you can't necessarily say, oh, Australia's don't win if that doesn't get awarded. But mm. I think New Zealand at least have a case watching that to say, well, I don't think we deserve to lose. So that's in the end, right. deserve doesn't mean shit. We won the game and that's what the record books will show. But it does, it did feel like we were, I'll say we were extremely lucky to get away with it. Yeah, I haven't looked at the stats, Barrio, but I also felt as though New Zealand were definitely busting more tackles and, and making more offloads. Um, and their halves had better command of the of the attack as well. Uh, to me, they were just sort of ahead in a few areas, key areas. Um, I'm not sure why Australia seems, with the talent they have on the park, seems so averse to popping a ball with an offload. Um, they sort of played a fairly boring brand. And as you said, it probably typified by the fact that Nathan Cleary just ran the ball straight and took the tackle 75% of the time. I thought that was odd as well. It's reminiscent of a game Australia lost in, I think it was a World Cup or a Tri-Nation, whatever, to England way back in the day where Alan Langer, just every time he got the ball, dummied and ran and absolutely lost us the game against 12 men where a pom, pommy guy had been sent off within the first few minutes for a dodgiest of high tackles, and yet we lost. People who got blamed for it were Cliff Lyons and somebody else got dropped. I don't remember. Those two people dropped. And yet the both, very both clear indigenous, to me at the time. Yeah, funny that. And the whole game I was watching going, why doesn't he pass the ball, Langer? And he just didn't. Every time he got mm. the ball, which was a lot, because he's the halfback, he just dummied and ran and got swallowed up by the defense very comfortably. Mm. And I, I appreciate the early 90s. Um, analogy as well, Mario, because there'd be a few people listening maybe who were born after that time who'd be going, who the fuck is Langer? But we're educating them, and that's what TVT is all about at the end of the day. There was another controversy, mate, that got the uh, the QAnon cogs turning. I don't know if you read this story, but apparently when it came to the World Cup scheduling, um, I think that the Kiwis found this out in the lead-up to the match against Australia, but they were booked on a flight out of England uh, straight after the semi-final. So according to the World Cup schedulers, they always knew that New Zealand were going to lose that match. I could just say that 
perhaps every team had a flight scheduled for that point and it was a fully refundable flight. But for, for the fun of it, yeah, of course, absolute conspiracy, New Zealand were robbed, etc. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm an Australian fan. I was born in Australia. I've lived almost my whole life here. Fuck them. And yet Fuck so many Kiwi. people want you deported. It's weird. My mum's one of them because she's a Kiwi and she can also go get fucked. Go the, go the Aussies. Did you know this as well, Mario? I mean, I'm learning a lot tonight, but um, New Zealand was ranked number one in the world going into this tournament. Were you aware of this? Which was fair because we hadn't played a game in three years and the Kiwis had played like one or two games in that period of time. So I, I suppose that's why. So they got that ranking by, by just sheer presence, just turning up. Didn't we lose to Tonga the last time we played before? Yeah, I think you might be right COVID? there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we did. I just don't remember if that was a a, a, a 13 aside or like a nines game. No, no, like it was a, a proper game. Okay, there you go. So, you know, our last our last result that we had to show was a loss. So I don't know how the world rankings are done in rugby league, but ultimately they don't mean shit anyway. Everyone knows Australia's the best team. Well, I mean, we, you do say that, but, uh, you know, we have we have dropped a few games here and there um, in recent years, and I do think the gap is narrowing. Do you think that the World Cup organisers, Mario, just went, ooh, okay, I think maybe we can send New Zealand home a little bit early, and someone goes, well, why is that? And they go, well, Michael Maguire's their coach, um, and if any recent history is a guide, we can only assume that he will coach them to a loss. Um, and I did notice in the lead-up to that game, uh, Maguire said this coaching of the World Cup experience was right up there with NRL glory. And I thought to myself, when has Michael ever experienced that? Not not for, you know, it's been eight years since he did, so but he, uh, he might remember it, except he, he looks pretty old these days. Coaching the Tigers appears to have aged him at at least, you know, three or four times the normal rate. So I'm mm. not sure he actually remembers anything, you know, of the last 40 years, and he probably only remembers early childhood. I agree with you. In fact, I think when he coached Souths in 2014, it was a bit like, you know, Al Pacino in The Godfather. And by the time he was coaching the Tigers towards the end of his tenure there, he became Al Pacino in The Insider. Like, he was a hell of a lot older. Definitely a lot huskier. Um, I'd say greyer, but obviously there's not a lot of hair to go grey. But even his skin was going grey, a little bit jaundice even. Um, so he's definitely put on some years um, over in Leichhardt. And I wonder if the same thing will happen to Benji Marshall, who seems ageless, but taking over the reins over there, I do wonder if in two or three years' time, he just looks like a Kiwi version of Mr Miyagi. I think poor Benji's going to, by the end of next year, when he's not even taken over full control of the club, I think he's going to look at least 10 years older. That's what the Tigers do to people. Can you put bets on that? I mean, I'd love to bet on that, whether or not... Uh, Benji Marshall will age like in an accelerated rate over the next two to three years because of the Tigers, specifically making that the cause, because I think that's an odds-on bet. Well, I think, listeners, you've heard it here first, so I think we're going to give you all exclusive rights to this new venture that Eamon and I are going to start. If you enter the, go to our new website, the voluntarytackle.bet.au, and you enter the enter enter the code not real, then we we have of course are starting in the newest Australian betting company to rival sports bet and such, and we're going to base it entirely around 
the most ridiculous, unusual bets you could ever imagine. That's right. And it's only your first five bets we will take the 95% commission of. After that, if you manage to get six in a row correct, um, that'll actually go down by 10% for every correct bet you get. Uh, obviously, if you don't get anything right, um, we will just take all of your money as per what sports bet would do uh, when you lose. Uh, so, yeah, get on that uh, promo. Thanks for mentioning that, Mario. I forgot to do that. Um, oh, look, another little story I saw floating around was uh, concerning one hell of a young gun over at the Sydney Roosters. I speak, of course, of Joseph Suwalihi. I knew I was going to get it wrong. I wish it was still Suwali. It was so much easier. Um, now, his action, Mario, has obviously come into question. It came into question um, at the beginning of the NRL season, actually, because he's done it a few times. But he has got a raised knee action going into tackles um, that I think is going to provide not only concern for his own career because he could be spending some time on the sideline suspended, but at some point I think he may kill someone because that action combined with the, the sheer speed that, that and power that guy runs at um, could very easily shatter someone's face. Um, he did it in the Tonga match, which is an amazing match between Samoa and Tonga. Now, I think for the fact, if it wasn't Felice Kafusi, I think people would have really cared about this. But because he need him in the head, who's an obvious dog, everyone went, yeah, well, fair play. But what if he does it to like a person who's a good bloke next time? Yeah, like when he does it to Jake Turbo, someone that people actually like, it's going mm. to be a problem for him. And I, I did enjoy a, def a, twi a defense, I don't know if it was Twitter or someone in the media, saying it's not his fault, it's because he's really tall, he can't help but his knee run into people. And I thought, well, it's interesting. He's six foot five. Tom Turbo, I believe, is six foot four. I don't recall ever seeing Tommy doing that, or perhaps all the basketballers who are taller than six foot five that I watch regularly. I don't recall any of them charging in with their knees up, but I'm sure that I must be mistaken. And it's going to be a problem if he doesn't coach it out of his game, especially given that he has been spoken to about it before. Um, but maybe he's a big Billy Slater fan and he's just watched the whole career of doing dodgy things and injuring people with very terrible techniques and watching Billy get away with it. So he's figured, well, I can too. No worries, mate. Look, sorry, I'm not to be distracted. I'm just tweeting out of my PVL account again. Uh, Felice Kafusi, uh, you can't get penalised if you hit him in the face. Just enter. Um, no, look, I, I agree with you there, mate. I think sheer height, to blame it on the fact that people are just tall, um, well, I, as a tall man myself, I find that like a bit of a hate crime. It would be the same as if I was black and people were, you know, having a go at the Rosa Parks incident saying, well, that wasn't, you know, really meaningful. I find that offensive to just blame it on being tall. And as you said, there's certainly other precedents out there in the competition. There are other tall people. Jason Saab, for example, very rarely raises the knee and hurts someone. In fact, he never breaks a tackle, period. You know, because he um, he's just a nice guy. Well, look, in the interest of his career, Mario, I guess it's important on a forum, such an important forum like TVT, uh, to propose some solutions for Suwalihi. Got it right that time. Um, you know, how can he get this out of his game? You know, what would you be saying to him if you were the coach of the Roosters or indeed the coach of Samoa or whatever team he happens to be playing for? How do you stop him from raising the knee? One, one of my dogs who's now really, really old, so he's not he's not into all this stuff anymore. But when he was a puppy, he was obsessed with digging. He wanted to dig everything. So what we did is we taught him to dig on command. And so what we need to do, I think, because let's face it, footy players are just like puppies. They're pretty much the same. So I think if we get 
Joseph Suali'i, and we teach him to knee uh, Felice Kafusi in the head constantly by rewarding him for that behavior, then I think we can just make it so whenever he's near Kafusi, someone on the team yells knee, and he just lifts it, gets Kafusi in the head, and everyone applauds. But without that command, he simply won't do it. So I think that's an easy fix. Mm. Yeah, I, I like your logic there, Mario. Certainly the analogy there between rugby league players and dogs, because as we know, dogs will fuck anything with a heartbeat, won't they? So certainly it, it, it stacks up. You get a boy dog grumpy, sense, he'll probably but, um, you know, bite his wife pretty, pretty happily without a second thought. And that seems to describe far too many footy players. It certainly does. And in fact, I don't know how the analogy translates to Joel Monaghan. I'm still trying to get my brain to work that out. But it is a problem for Suwalehi, isn't it? He's a young player with so much promise. He had so many amazing moments in this World Cup already, particularly that game against Tonga. I thought he was very, he was powerful. Um, you know, quite a number of tackle busts. And the back end of the, the season for the Roosters, um, he just seemed to be getting better and better. But you, ca- you can see this kind of flaw potentially derailing the progress of a young man's career in a way. You can, and we don't want that to happen because I think if his career in rugby league is not what he wants it to be, then, you know, there's always, oh, I'll go back to rugby. And although we don't care that much, there's plenty of league players in the sea. We don't care if one or two go to rugby. I'd still rather he didn't because fuck rugby, shit sport, Hmm. you know, no one should play it. I agree with you completely. And, um, you know, he has organised a contract where that can very much be a possibility um, if indeed his management decides to go that way. I certainly hope he decides to hang on with the Roosters for at least a few years more because you get the sense that with Suwalee, he he's just going to be getting a hell of a lot better each year. But just based on the trajectory of progress he's already made uh, between the end of last year and this year, um, it's really night and day. And the kid, what is he, 19 going on 20? I mean... You know, he's not going to be really realising his full potential for another four or five seasons, you wouldn't think. Um, and that's quite scary to think because he's already, you know, quite dominant in first grade. He's making... Mal Meninga was very vocal that he would have brought him into the Australian team had he decided to, you know, uh, announce his allegiance to the Kangaroos. He didn't, which I think is for the betterment of the game. I'm glad he didn't and he was going to play for Samoa. Um, you know, I can't really see a ceiling on his career except for the fact he may take out, you know, three or four players' testicles or jaws in the process. Um, unless it's Felice Cafusi's, I'm pretty unhappy about that. Um, so he does need to put a lid on it. And I know, you know, the voluntary tackle, not known for its straightforward solutions. Um, we're known for sort of more Band-Aid solutions, things that kind of solve thing in the short term, but the structural fundamental fault remains, which is why, Mario, I pitched to you, perhaps uh, Joseph should just run out there with couch cushions on his knees just to soften the blow, take a sort of an airbag approach. Uh, I mean, I would problem. think, though, as a Roosters fan, at the very least you'd want to oil those bad boys up or something because you don't want it to be easier to tackle him around the legs. You want it to be harder. Mm, I'm just going to build on what you're saying there and go 100%, let's get rid of the couch cushions and replace that with echidnas because that would also uh, soften the blow on his knees, um, but also make sure that he was harder to tackle because he would be spearing the face of whoever was attempting to tackle him. Now, I realise this also uh, is a bit of a drawback, again, for player injury, but I don't care. I think it's time for Echidnas to be strapped to the knees of NRL players, and I'm I'm not going to be shy about uh, putting that forward. Well, Echidnas are a clear problem in Australia. We've had the Emu Wars... I was assuming Echidna Wars were next. So 
the option of putting a bounty on their heads because they're starting to become an absolute pest to society. I think this is a solution. Mm. There's plenty of footy players. Just strap a bunch of echidnas to knees. And I think, yep, we've solved two problems at the same time. That's right. We'll get rid of a, a, a clear pest. There's too many of them. And uh, and just, you know, fuck monotremes because we don't like them. Um, the next will be the platypus. And um, I don't know if there are any more that exist. Let's fuck them over first uh, before climate change. Let's get in before climate change because we know that will make them extinct in the next 20 years anyway. But I want to see them extinct sooner than that. So you're going for the um, Slobodan Milosevic sort of theory. Well, you know, if I'm going to commit genocide, it's probably for their own good anyway. Thank you, mate. I take that as a compliment because I have applied Milosevic theory many times in this podcast and no one's really appreciated it. So thank you, mate. Uh, ethnic cleansing. I know it gets a bad rap, um, but there are circumstances in which it can fly um, so long as, you know, you're going after the right people. Um, for example, the Welsh. <laughs> I want to go to another story for you, mate. It's about Victor Radley. Now, this was quite interesting because he's obviously a defector. Um, he's a traitor in, in the eyes of many Australians. And uh, if, if you know they get their way, um, he won't be allowed to come back across our borders because he's decided to play for England. And this week, he's freely admitted that he doesn't know the English national anthem. He doesn't know the words. Uh, so, you know, when the team's singing along to God Save the King, before the match, uh, Victor can be seen clearly mouthing the words to, you know, Led Zeppelin, uh, which apparently has been a bit on, been on the nose of the squad. They're not happy with it. Um, I guess my question to you about Mario, about that chapter is, does this prove that Victor's heart really isn't in it, that he's not English, despite what he said, and that uh, at the end of the day, he does want to come back, be in Australia and play for the Blues? I don't think it proves shit because I suspect he doesn't know the words to the Australian national anthem either. A fact that I would applaud in any um, footy player because it's a shit anthem, and I, you know, hmm. it it just it still represents colonialism and all that sort of shit. So it can get fucked. I'm not going to sing along to it either. Yeah, but how hard is it to learn the lyrics to Waltz in Matilda? I mean, it's pretty easy. A man kills a fucking or steals a sheep, takes a nap beside a river. Um, at some point, he shoots his wife, I think. I can't quite remember what the third the, verse um, was, but it's pretty easy. Surely the listeners want to hear you put your money where your mouth is and sing all the verses and chorus of Waltzing Matilda for us right now. So ready? One, two, three, all right. go. Okay, thanks for putting me on the spot, Murray. I'll certainly do that. Uh, but before I go into the Waltzing Matilda version, I'm just going to sing the English national anthem really quickly to prove that I, I have global knowledge. One, a two, a three. What's a mouth, what a mouth, what a north and south. Marty, what a mouth he's got. Old Jim's old fella, bit of short-sighted fella. When he saw Jim's mouth, he took it for the cellar and he shot the lot right into his mouth. No joke. Anyway, I, I can't remember the rest. But, uh, God save the king um, and fuck the queen, I think, is how it ends. Uh, but look, we've probably sung for enough um, on the on the show because I, I don't know if you know this, but in the fine print of the contract of TVT, it says at least only one melody uh, per show oh, so on punishment uh, of uh, I, I was going to be um you know cheering for Scottish um independence from England by singing their national anthem but uh, apparently we're limited to one so we'll leave that for a future episode that's right mate we'll we'll meet it out uh, gradually uh, so we don't completely piss off all of the listeners um all nine of them so that, that I think that'd be a good move I want to know what can make Victor Radley if he doesn't know the national anthem England that's fine but what can make him more English how would you suggest to Victor, hey, mate, 
this is how you can fit in with your squad. This is how to be really English. What would you suggest to him? Yeah, I would assume that the the best thing would be just to grab himself a knife, go out into the high street of Hackney in in um, London, and just just stab a cunt. When, when the old Bill turn up and say, "Oh, you're flaming Nick, mate," he, he can then say, "You what, mate?" And then everyone will say, "Oh, wow, okay, we take it back. He's he's definitely British. He could perhaps, you know." reference the word clunge in there somewhere because that's always that's about as british as it gets as well fair enough so you recommend to victor hey victor what you should do is get involved in a really hackneyed east end theater play where you're using weird cockney language for no reason i'm not sure why he would stab someone but i'd sure throw that in if you like uh for me i would have just said just eat a bit of spotted dick um you know one of the iconic English desserts. Remember, he got in trouble for that with Joseph Suwali'i earlier this season for trying to, you know, pretend he was eating Suwali'i spotted dick. I don't remember that, mate. Can you fill me in? Oh, really? There was <laughs> oh, the camera shot to them both. They were both not playing at the time or whatever it was. And it, it, he saw the camera pointed in their direction with the light on. So he mimicked um, a, a certain motion with his hand towards. Suwali's yep. allegedly enormous schlong. That is so the roosters, isn't it? I mean, you know what that is? I mean, you could you could knock that as lewdness, but for me, that's just mateship. I, I assume you're talking about a handjob or a blowjob. I don't know. Either way, yeah. um, it's the kind of penal pleasure that only really good bonded teams deliver. It's very, it is very Aussie, so I suppose that probably doesn't help his whole, you know, pommy thing. Yeah, there we go. Look, just final suggestions. I thought maybe... You know, if he wanted to fit in, he could either deliberately mangle his teeth and make them a little bit more yellow, uh, or if he really wanted to push the boat out, um, he could hang a descendant of William Wallace. Mate, I want to finish with, I don't know if you saw this, Golden Boot Candidates. Now, this requires me to actually bring up a window because I saw this on my iPad here. Now, today, um, they've come out with a a list of candidates, and I was very interested to get your take on this because I think there's 20-odd candidates to get the golden boot at this stage yeah i'm keen okay well this is good you'll be hitting this fresh now there's only three australian players on this list which i found interesting in itself now for people at home that don't know i believe that golden boot is only based on international performance it's not based on domestic comps so um there's no tedesco the three australians i think are josh adokar harry grant and cameron munster uh no nathan cleary so Clearly, someone agrees with our criticisms. Some guy from the Netherlands has made the list. And I'm going to test your rugby league knowledge here, Mario. Are you a f- uh, familiar with Johan Schoenmaker? Um, that's Michael Schoenmaker's um, nephew. He, he he didn't make it in Formula One, so he decided to just pick any random sport. And by throwing a dart at the board, he picked rugby league. And now he's an absolute legend. No, I've never heard of him. Well, I mean, if he wanted to follow in his father's footsteps, it'd be tough, wouldn't it? Because he'd have to get himself at some downhill skis and find a particularly jagged rock. But I don't think it is. I think it's Schoenmaker, so it's slightly different. So let's not be racist to the Dutch. Um, and it's Joran, which could be pronounced Johan or Joran. I have no idea. But the fact that this guy's made the list and the Netherlands aren't even in the, the final of the World Cup, they haven't made the cut, um, I'm wondering, Mario, are we becoming too inclusive here? I mean, I'm very pro-inclusivity. But to include a guy from the Netherlands who I've never fucking heard of, 
to get the golden boot seems like a fucking sham. And the other thing, should it not be a golden clog? If he wins, it has to be a golden clog. It has to be. Mind you, I, <laughs> he just, how could he have made the top 20? Any, whatever. Munster's definitely. Who the fuck is he? Munster's out <laughs> because he sucked so horribly this morning that he's just ruled himself out. So between Harry Grant and Josh Adokar, honestly, a toss, a roll of the dice because Harry Grant has been really, really good, but he was just okay today. He was, he was fine. Whereas Adokar, mm. I have said, I think was exceptional today and has been really good all tournament. I feel like at present, he's probably shading Harry overall, but I suspect by the time the final's finished, you know, Harry might be the, the one favoured to take it out of those two. The Fox is really showing up Freddie, isn't he? Oh. I feel like they're not making the Origin team this year has been extra motivation for a player who was already the best winger in the world. Um, but my God, his form has just gone off the charts. Really has, especially when you compare him to Val today. I mean, Luttrell didn't do that much today. I feel like he did. He was okay in defence and you know against the ball, but he didn't go looking for it. And Cleary just didn't pass to him at all. Or Cleary and Munster, more Munster, I suppose, actually, um, just didn't Mm. give him the ball. Latrell never got it, and maybe he could have looked for it more, but that didn't happen anyway. um, So for Fox to be that good when the ball just wasn't actually coming down that side that much except they kept kicking it to him he doesn't drop it he does really well every time they kick it to him and they kept kicking to him instead of to val i want to go back to something you said earlier in the podcast because i think it's pretty um pertinent here because i actually think the reason that the, the fox didn't get chosen in that origin side is sometimes what i would label the sort of misnomer of stats now that's not to suggest that stats have been doctored or um you know someone's fabricating but i think the fact that Josh isn't particularly known for those gobbled up hard meters that the bigger guys can do mm-hmm. that, you know, when people sit down with stat sheets on selection panels and they go and they look at those, you know, kind of kick return meters and those kind of base stats, it, it, a lot of what he brings to a match isn't being measured. I mean, I don't know. There's no stat for the number of times a person turns a game through individual brilliance, for example, uh, that doesn't typically get measured in NRL stats, but that Josh brings something that To'o or Tupo can't do, and that is he can bring a 95-metre try from nowhere. That's something that those guys can't bring that only he can bring. Um, he brings a sort of magic that tends to happen in clutch moments, actually. He also is some guy that is, as no, is known to do it in big matches, known to do it in key times. Um, and so I think at Origin particularly, because I guess it's ref differently, people with a different body type, I think, get penalised. I, mean, I think historically New South Wales in particular have been guilty of that, where they they always go for the giant kind of winger who plays as an extra forward, and they tend to discount the the smaller but more skillful wingers. And I think Josh was a, a casualty of that, but, geez, he's really rubbing it in their face now. I mean, his form, even for the dogs in the back end of the season, was sublime. I agree with you completely, and honestly, I think you've nailed it because... He, yeah, he, I, I can't, I can't pick why he wasn't picked for New South Wales, but Tupo had been pretty good. So I, I don't necessarily think it was the worst decision at the time, but after game one, I mean, I had said at the time I would have picked out a car, but after game one, when Tupo mm. wasn't that great, I think it was obvious that they should have moved over 
to Tupo and it just did not happen. And, and, and it's no knock on To'o Tupo, is it? Because they're both great wingers and they both bring, I think both of those wingers brought value to the team. But again, it's a nice problem to have. You want the person who's going to offer you the most value. And we and, and the what other thing that Josh has is form at origin level. Like he's played very well at origin level almost in every game he's ever played. I mean, that should count for a lot as well. Yeah, I would think so too. Unbelievable. But look, on to more important issues, Mario. How can we track down Johan Schoenmaker? I'd love to get him on the show. I've Googled him. Google doesn't know much about him because he may or may not exist. Um, I found one highlight. You'd, you'd appreciate this because we do a lot of research here on the show. I mean, people listen to this and go, mm, I don't know about that. It sounds really amateurish and they talk about people with red hair too much. But we actually do. We, do, we actually do lots of deep dives before we switch the mics on. And I found out in 2019 that Johan Schoenmaker, in some competition in Europe I'd never heard of, uh, got the best try of the year against Germany when he was playing for the Netherlands. And so I, went, I was very intrigued. I went, oh, I need to see this try. And I tracked down the video. And it was a conventional try 40 metres out off three passes. There was nothing exciting about it at all. And it told me a little bit about the standard <laughs> that must be set in that competition. And perhaps Johan is getting too many raps. I don't know who the fuck he is, but I'm already prepared to rip his reputation down to the ground. You're taking a glass half empty angle. I'm taking a glass half full angle. I don't even know what position he plays, but I think Manly should sign him up. And in terms of getting him... <laughs> well, he's a, he's a winger. He's a winger for the record. Well, we need, we, need a good, we need another good winger. I'm down with that. Let's just sign him on a train and trial contract. I'm sure he'd come over here for one of those, you know, 60 grand a year sort of contracts you'd get for those people. And then I'm sure we'd get a, a future immortal for that bargain price. And Manly, he would go on to lead us to glorious glory. In terms of getting in contact... So did you- we, you know, good old Michael Carboni from the um, Chasing Kangaroos podcast. He's got all the contacts. He spoke. He's spoken to so many people from different organisations. I'm sure he could get us in touch with him. I think we should make it happen. Well, we might have to drop him a line on Twitter, uh, Mr. Carboni, and find out how we can get an interview with Johan. And we'll make sure that he listens to this episode before we speak to him, because um, I'm sure he'll only be more impressed by us uh, claiming he should win the Golden Clog. Um, in fact, you know what I'm really interested in? Manly, you said you'd only throw 60K at him, even if he's a Golden Clog winner. I mean, that says a lot about the Manly Club. You want everything for a song. Well, haven't you seen how we do our recruitment? We only pay big dollars to people who are local juniors who probably would sign for less. We'd, we'd pay $1.1 million for Tommy, who definitely would have stayed for 900 because he loves the club. So... And then we we only we don't ever buy big name players on big contracts. We we don't get the Brandon Smiths to our club. That it's just not how Manly do that signing. So we pay absolute minimum for no for effective nobodies in terms of the Australian game. You know we'll pay no money at all for Ethan Bullymore and then never play him and then drop him because he hasn't played well enough because we haven't played him. Look, something we mentioned on the last show that we did a couple of weeks ago was the proposal that the NRL had for doing a pre-season competition. I noticed uh, Andrew Abdo has released a video confirming that will go ahead and that indeed St. Helens will be out here to play random games against NRL clubs. And you guessed it, it'll be against St. George for some reason. Really weird. Uh, So that is all going ahead. But I put this to you, Mario. 
if you're, if you're talking about novelty value, okay, you can bring over St. Helens and, and play some NRL clubs, but why not Johan Schoenmaker? That's going to put bums on seats, surely. Let's get the Golden Fog winner and his Netherlands team over here to play against the Dragon, to play against the Tigers, in fact, because that's probably about the level the Tigers displayed at the end of this season. And everyone who enters the ground gets a pretzel for some reason. What else is Dutch? Uh, waffles? Maybe you can have a waffle for every try that Johan scores. Um, and if he doesn't score, if he gets a, you know, a big fat duck egg, um, you'll have to do something Dutch, which is not very pleasant. Well, and um, about duck eggs, I've got plenty of spares of those at the moment. Perfect. Let's do that. Uh, look, that probably wraps the show, Mario. Is there anything you'd like to add before we go and tell the listeners? There's something that's burning off the press. Absolutely. Beer is good. Drink more. I'm glad you didn't end with the uh, Cameron Smith remark. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We always appreciate your company. Stay on track with us on Twitter. We are, of course, uh, Peter underscore Volandes with the blue tick. You can follow us for any tweets about future rule changes. It comes here direct. And uh, stay tuned for next week because we'll be talking about more madness and more Johan Schoenmaker. What I love about the English Mario is that for a long time, and I don't think they're exclusively uh, doing this, uh, I think the other countries were as well because we hadn't developed proper sanitation and sewerage systems, but for a long time the English used to just shit out the window. And I thought about that. Absolutely. And um, Other countries did it too. I, yeah, of course. But I, what I'm saying is I think we should bring it back. Except I live on the first, you know, I don't have a multi-storey house, so it would be fine if you live on the the ninth floor of an apartment block, but when you're living on the ground floor, that's probably not the best option. I've got to tell you, the satisfaction you'd get with, you know, getting the newspaper out, yeah, something tactile, magazine, iPad, whatever, taking the trousers down and doing a number two and being able to have the pleasure of saying bombs away before you flush. Um, I mean, that's something I think needs to come back. And I don't know what they did with the wiping situation, if that followed. I can, or maybe they didn't even wipe back then. I don't know. But, um, I bet they didn't wipe. Yeah, I've, I reckon they probably just rubbed their ass on the sill. Could I train my goats to eat my shit? So I could, uh, if I could, <laughs> I, between them and the chooks, I reckon I could get my shit eaten. I love how far off track we've got. Um,